Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, listeners, welcome to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here again. As always, we would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to give us some information, just hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We do listen. We do take action. And uh, again, please reach out to us. Today, I have Deborah Leff, who's a global leader and industry CTO for the Data Science and AI Elite team. She's an industry specialist for consumer and travel. And I know in her day-to-day, she demystifies AI, which we're all trying to do. So I'm, we're going to talk about that. And she supports thousands of sellers around the world to help their clients transform with data science and AI solutions. I know she considers herself modernizing infrastructure. Look, back to the data science and elite team. She She's part of this team that we've set up through IBM. But let me pause there. I'm going to let her describe it. Hey, Deborah, welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me, Al. It's a pleasure to be here. I can definitely step in and describe the mission of the data science and AI elite team. Our general manager of IBM Data and AI, Rob Thomas, had the great foresight, probably about two years back at this point, to set up a dedicated team of data scientists to work very closely with our clients at IBM's investment to help them be successful with data science and AI agendas. And this has been incredibly successful. We started with just a few data scientists. We're now over 100 data scientists worldwide. And this year, we'll probably grow to about 150. And it's been an incredible program because there's so much about data science that's so specific and specialized. And as companies are stepping up and looking for ways to really not just onboard data science and AI initiatives, but to make it really the fabric of their company, the guidance and the advice and the experience that our team um, brings to the table and partnering with our clients um, has just served served all of us really well. We were talking before we jumped on the podcast that our CDO, Seth Dobrin, who's been on, I think, three or four times, four times, I want to say. He's still waiting for his jacket. Yes. <laughs> so you knew, you knew. And I owe him a jacket. We'll get him a jacket. So he said, we had to have you on. He said, you're the best. So tell us why you're the best. <laughs> he said, you have got to get this woman on now. So that's what we did. I've always loved transformational technologies. I've spent my entire career uh, doing something transformational. And the power that data science and AI projects have and the impact that they're having is, to me, just, you know, I think you see this type of transformation once in a lifetime. And I can't tell you how happy I am to just be in the thick of it. Seth recruited me into this role. I had come from sales positions uh, as a, a VP of sales, as an individual contributor and anywhere on that continuum. And, you know, moving into a role with a CTO title is very daunting for me. And I think <laughs> there's a lot of studies that will say women don't actually go after jobs unless they like match the requirements 100%. And Seth, who's an incredible supporter of diversity and inclusion, was really the one who said, Deborah, you are right for this role. You need to step into it. And it was really his confidence and encouragement that that was the real reason why I took that leap. Here's my first question. What does the data science elite team actually do? Now, I know I got Seth comes in and he gives me one version, but you, you've you got an eye on, on exactly what they're doing every day in the trenches, where, where they're making a difference. Um, what do you guys actually do? 
So what I do, so I'm not a data scientist on the data science elite team. I'm one of the industry CTOs. So my job is slightly different from the role of the members of the data science. And so hold on, let me make sure. So you've got this team is, is meant for the customers and we help customers deploy and figure out how to best leverage or get business outcomes with AI. A lot of what people ask us for is actually not AI. A lot of what people are asking us for could be just good old fashioned advanced analytics, but it doesn't matter what it's called. What matters is people all across the business are starting to get really creative with how they can put data to work for them. So we always start with, what are you trying to do? If you had a crystal ball that gave you an answer to a question today that maybe you wouldn't have for a week, a month, six months, or a year that might change what you're doing today, what would that question be? What would that answer, what would you want the data to tell you in advance? And that is just sparking so much activity. So sometimes it comes from IT, it's something large and transformational. In retail, it could be um, something related to supply chain and optimizing the way you're uh, planning inventory or the way you're delivering inventory into physical retail stores. It could be predicting what demand is going to be so that you can optimize uh, for not having too much inventory on hand, but yet not stocking out. What do the industry CTOs add that the data scientist you know, whether it's a clicker or coder, doesn't have in terms of expertise. Our job is to really make sure that we understand all of the use cases that are, you know, things that we've done or things that the industry or market is doing, really becoming experts on what are the best ways to apply machine learning and AI within specific industry segments so that as we work with the field and with all of our customers around the world, we can have those conversations with the C-suite, with leaders and executives across the business and help them understand what might be the best investments based upon what they're trying to do at any given point in time. And then once we decide on you know, what is the use case they're looking for, that's when we bring it to the data science elite team, we staff it. Um, based upon what the project uh, needs are, um, and then work together, co-creating with the client to deliver that project. What are the most successful engagements that you usually see? I got to believe that that ties into demystifying AI. Successful projects have many different elements. The first, first and foremost is executive sponsorship, because I don't think that going into working through these projects that people necessarily have an appreciation for how painstaking they are, right? There's all sorts of successes that are being touted and hyped up in the media that make it seem like this stuff is magic, but it's not. This is this is a very sophisticated, mathematical, scientific process that needs time and iteration. And a lot of projects that quote unquote fail really just pull the plug on them too quickly because somebody who didn't understand the science that goes into it pulled the plug on it too quickly. So that executive sponsorship and the understanding that it is a painstaking process and that it needs time, we take a look at the parts of the process that take longer than they need to or longer than they should because maybe open source doesn't address certain gaps. um, And we're looking to address those with tools and technology. And that's very important. It's a very important element that we're bringing to the market that we bring to life through that DSC engagement, because we let people live that firsthand to see where our capabilities can have an impact. 
you know, I get with a lot of clients and, you know, they want to, they want to get this model in production immediately. And, and then they find out, Hey, that's not easy. And then you've got to have the right tools to keep those models in production. But then some have the expectation like, Hey, look, I want you to solve customer churn. I said, okay, great. And they said, surely you've done so many customer churn models. You can just, you know, rubber stamp it and take one from a, a pre existing customer and throw it into our environment. And it just doesn't work that way. It was, well, <laughs> that's true. It just does not work that way. Although um, we have been building accelerators into cloud pack for data that actually do just that. They maybe don't just plug it in and it solves the problem, but the things that are repeatable that we are seeing many customers want to you know, implement, we are including a lot of accelerators in cloud pack for data to, to help them go faster. As I was saying earlier, that's really a lot of the investments that we've been making is how can we help companies go faster? But even with that accelerator, you are going to customize it and make it your own. And that's part of, you know, the beauty of what data science and AI does for each individual company becomes part of your competitive advantage. And the way that you implement those things becomes very unique to you as a company. How would you rate the customers that you visit in being ready to implement AI? So I'm going to tell you, I think everyone is ready. I think if you can articulate a business problem, you are ready. And that that feeling that maybe companies don't think they're ready, there's no one who's not ready. The only ones who are not ready are the startups that started today or yesterday and don't have enough data. But every legacy company is ready. It's just a question of taking that leap and and moving forward quickly. The things that I think that hold people back, and gosh, I, I saw this back in, uh, it was like 2010. Do you remember when when self-service BI kind of burst onto the scene. So before that point in time, it was very tightly controlled and centralized within IT. And now all of a sudden, we've got business users who have access to just tons of data they never had access to before because big data was now a thing and there was tons of data being generated and captured. And and they had self-service tools they could just swipe a credit card and go or, or use their, you know, Cognos Analytics self-service components. And they were just chomping at the bit to get going. And I remember then, because I was still here at IBM, I remember then the conversations with IT went something like this. Oh, my gosh, we love this. We absolutely want to enable self-service. This is going to help our company become data-driven. And so here's what we need to do. We need to build an enterprise data warehouse, and then we're going to build uh, a data orchestration layer, and we're going to enable self-service BI. And it's like, oh my God, that sounds like Nirvana. That's perfect. That's, that's what we want. When do we get that? And the IT is like, mm, like 18 to 24 months. Business couldn't wait. So what they do, they just started downloading their own data and dumping into Excel or into a database and, and writing their own SQL queries to go after the data they wanted. And it created just all these shadow environments and just like a t- ton of mess. But the ones that were successful were the ones that said, huh, we want to start with self-service BI, but rather than get all of our data in order so that it can be used for self-service BI, why don't we first start with maybe some of our key operational reports and get that data into a governed environment and turn on self-service with just those data sets and build in the data needed for those specific requests. And the companies that took that approach created a revolution by evolution, and they were successful. That's what I think is happening here with data science and AI. If you can think of something that's important to you, we have agile methodologies, the garage method, the things that a company can do 
in five, six, eight, ten weeks are mind-blowing. You just have to believe it's possible. But I'd be hard-pressed to tell you I don't think that there's a company that's ready for data science and AI. I think everyone is ready. It's just a matter of the way you prioritize. So I love your answer. Here's what I heard you say. You say, look, one way or another, you're ready. Uh, you may have to start off small. You may have to start off with a specific use case. You may have to start off with a specific data set, but you can still find value, make value, and and grow from that point forward if you do it right. Exactly. And analytics begets analytics. So as soon as you do one thing, no matter how small, when you see the result, it just lights the organization up. And suddenly, now the ideas are absolutely firing. That's one reason why we went to this microservices architecture to help promote kind of what you're saying. Because we do find today that clients have data in all kind of disparate locations and silos, et cetera. So we've created this hybrid architecture. So you can you know, separate compute and storage as you want to, keep hot or cold data. You can do data virtualization, leave data in some of the repositories you have today so you don't have to move it. You can, you can leverage it where it sits. We'll have a knowledge catalog across all those different data sources. So there's no reason, to your point, that you can't get started at ASAP. So I will tell you the biggest reason that I think that holds companies back, and I think that is because we've been trained, and I I have an article up on Medium called AI Demands a New Perspective, but we have been trained for so long now that when we think of innovation, we think, okay, we're at version 10.2, what should we be doing in 10.3? What is the incremental improvement that we could deliver in a reasonable period of time? And we have been living like that for decades at this point. Think about what you want to be delivering. If you were starting from scratch today in a, in, you know, a new company or, or a new business, or how would you design it today? You would actually map out something that could be achieved, not because you took the legacy and you, you know, just kept cranking away and stretching it and extending it, but, but because you actually took the leap forward, modernize a legacy solution so that you could infuse it with AI processes. Can you give us an example of a, of, of a client reinventing themselves in the manner you just described? Uh, yes, actually. I'm going to use this example because our listeners can go out to YouTube and they can search for this and, and see a complete video about this. Uh, But American Airlines created a dynamic rebooking application. And this is an incredible story because it started as we need to solve a problem. Every hurricane season, one plane load of passengers that gets canceled is incredibly disruptive. When it's a day or two across multiple airports and multiple cities and across a region, it wreaks havoc. They, They can't avoid the cancellations when there's a hurricane, it's not safe. But what they could do is they could use AI to predict what would be the best possible rebooking situation. These are large legacy systems, but they took the approach, let's go into a clean room and design it as if we can design from scratch. We put resources from both IBM and American Airlines into the same room to co-create. They built that application in a number of weeks. And then they launched it. And they talk about like the fear and trepidation of hitting that button to flip it on because legacy, you know, app development said this should take months and it should be in Q&A. 
And they took that leap of faith and it worked flawlessly when they needed it. This is the impact we want to be delivering. You would be amazed that people don't understand that modern technologies, agile methodologies, and AI come together to do incredibly big things in really short amounts of time. Great example. Just the way the world is is gone, every company tends to be a tech company. Given the dollars that are being thrown at data scientists, it's funny how everyone quickly becomes a data scientist. Uh, I'm one. I'll raise my hand. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's dangerous. And and the worst thing that I see with, with some of the clients that I may be working with is that they're all in. Uh, they've seemingly from their side invested, but they don't have the skills and they need help. But, you know, they've already went all in and, and they're reluctant to get that help because they've already set the, the course and direction suggesting that, hey, we've got everything that we need. Anyway, I think that's where staff augmentation, whether you think you've got it or not, really helps because it'll keep you honest. It'll make sure your team is as skilled as it needs to be. And you also get assistance where you need help. Exactly. I think that's got to be a, a, the, fa- the path forward. Exactly. And, and their team also brings their domain expertise that someone from the outside can't necessarily have. So to me, if you outsource it completely, you could never take ownership of it. It becomes a black box. But if you co-create with your own resources, you can take ownership. You've been involved in its creation and you could then take responsibility for maintaining it over time. Given the power and the, the impact that these models can have, making sure they don't become black boxes is very, very key to their success. What do you think the field will look like in five years? So if I'm listening right now as consumer goods and wholesale distribution, if I'm a client out there, I've got to get on this horse very quickly or, or I'm going to get beat. Well, I think that message is certainly loud and clear in the marketplace, right? I think there's an awful lot of uh, doom and, oh my gosh, you're going to disrupt or be disrupted People that say we're headed for a third AI winter because there is disillusionment around what data science and, and ML can do. And it's for all of the reasons that we've been discussing, right? It's it's you don't understand how long it takes and maybe pull the plug too quickly, or you don't have executive support, or you don't uh, you underestimate the cultural shift that needs to take place. Right. I've I've worked with large CPG companies who've told me they have built models that predict. Uh, the best assortment mix for maximum revenue um, by store outlet and their salespeople ignore it because they've been working that patch for 10 years. And, you know, they just take out the invoice from last month and see what sold out and just, just re up it and they ignore the science. So they're feeling pretty disillusioned, you know, that they're even coming up with great insights, but they're not getting adopted. You know, isn't that the truth? It's funny how customer experience or customer service, it always comes back. One way or another, you do it well, you'll be rewarded. You do it poorly, you'll be out of business, one way or another. You know, with the, the cabs in, in New York, the problem I always had is I'm always going to the airport. And the yellow cabs would come up and they'd find out I'm going to the airport and they'd say, no, 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 I got to go. They're not supposed to do that, but they do it. And I, and I mean, I'd have trouble trying to get a cab to the airport because a lot of them want to stay on Manhattan, right? So they, they don't want to leave. But now when I use a, a Lyft or an Uber, you know, they don't have a choice. So I'm all, I don't even think of a yellow cab anymore because if I'm going to the airport, I don't want to have to deal with that. Okay. So, I'm just going to say I'm very fair. So I'm just going to tell you, I have that same problem with Uber because I live in New Jersey. And if I'm going into Manhattan, a New Jersey driver is not allowed to pick up uh, a passenger in New York City. So I have had, I will call an Uber. They will get to my house. They will accept the ride. They will see them go to it and they will cancel it and drive away. 
So they're they're even ripe for disruption. <laughs> no, no, everybody's ripe for disruption. I, there's no doubt about that. Is there any project just like one that it just caught you off guard? I mean, completely out of the blue, not one of the standard, but something that just you thought, wow, I, I never thought I'd be doing this. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> yep. So here's a crazy idea. We had um, a business leader for a cleaning products company tell us that they use a stabilizing product in order to prevent this cleaning product from evaporating. They use the same amount of stabilizer because they don't really know how much to use, but they know how much they need in order to be 100% certain that every single customer has the exact same experience um, and nothing has evaporated. So they know they're over-rotating on using more than they need to. But if they could predict how long that product was going to be on a truck and what the weather outside was likely to be, they could actually optimize the amount of stabilizer they use and save millions of dollars. That's a project that I'd, I would have seen coming. <laughs> There's got to be a lot of similar scenarios like that. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Well, it's, it's not dissimilar. This one is actually a, a small craft beer company that was having challenges that when they were filling the bottles it wasn't filling the bottle to the appropriate amount. And they use an ML model to figure out how they needed to adjust. And it turned out that it was one of their recipes had a specific ingredient in it that was causing it to need a little bit more product in it than the other products. I mean, the things that you learn as you go along are better in your business. Even if you didn't get that model in production, I think AI has a profound impact in just working through the implementation itself. Analytics begets analytics. Analytics begets analytics. We're, okay, that's a perfect scenario to stop on. By the way, you're very well-spoken, ton of energy. Uh, you should have your own podcast. You probably should just have this one. i just give it to you. Uh, so thank you very much. But I always like to get a little bit personal to end. Won't get too personal. What, you know, what do you do for fun? Uh, so for fun, I love nature photography. I travel all around the world to meet with customers and prospects and people that just want to talk about data science and AI. I use all of my frequent flyer miles to travel to really far flung destinations with my family and my camera and uh, wow. love nature photography. Where can we go view that? Do you display it anywhere or is this only for you? No, it's actually I have a personal Instagram account that you can actually see. Uh, it's just Deborah.Leff on Instagram, and you're more than welcome to come check it out. You ever been on a safari? I have. Oh, and I bet you got some pictures of that too. There are on 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 the feed. I really just use it for nature photography, but you will uh-huh. you will get to see uh, all sorts of images from around the world. Who is your number one role model? Not related to you. Who who is my number one role model? Oh God, I'm not allowed to say Seth Dobrin, am I? No, don't say it. He just give me a big hit. Do not do that to me. Okay, but I have learned so much from Seth. I'm oh. I'm, I'm sorry. I really have. I threw up in my mouth just a little a bit. Sorry. Tremendous amount. <laughs> so you're gonna go with Seth, really? Right. Um, yes, yes, I am. All right. I noticed in your background. You don't have a data science degree. You don't have an engineering degree. How have you been able to do what you've been able to do? Because now you find yourself as you know, an industry CTO. So first, Al, I'm going to tell you that uh, 
I hope you and our listeners will head on over to LinkedIn and connect. Uh, I have an article on my LinkedIn that I wrote last year uh, for International Women's Day. And I'm I'm trying to pull it up real quick because I want to quote something. Um, There was an author who said that if you learn an hour a day, I'm going to probably mess this up, so please forgive me, within like a couple of years, you will become proficient in that subject. But like within four years, you will become an expert. And within eight years, you'll be one of the best in the world. There's nothing I want to do more that in that hour a day than learn these topics in these subjects for this job role. And so I may not have a degree that I would have attended for a finite period of time at a specific institution. When you're committed to something and you, you want to know the subject matter as much as you can, you go out and you find those resources that can educate you and you write your own curriculum. You know, a lot of women come to me, younger women that say, you know, I think I might need to go back and get an advanced degree in order to do what I want to do. And my advice to them is you create your curriculum. There are so many resources. There's Coursera, there's O'Reilly, there's, there's, there's master classes. There's nothing you cannot learn if you set your mind to it. Wow. I'm going I'm to end there because I don't think we can better that. You are fantastic. And where I will reluctantly, but I've got to give Seth full credit is that he's got a great read on strong leaders and those that will also be great on a a podcast because we're looking for inspiration here and and certainly you give it. So by the way, I got to recruit you or something. Uh, You, you are absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I think the listeners are going to take a ton from this. We may even have to make this into a two-parter. I learned a lot before we close where should our listeners go to learn any more about you? We got your Instagram, I think it was. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm constantly posting some thoughts and commentary on things that are going on in the marketplace. It's a very easy place to connect. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Again, Deborah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, take that. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.